I, I will say uh, a couple things that I want you to know, just announcements-wise. Um, if you are new to New Community, we, we again would love to get to know you. Please, please go on our website, newcommunitywv.com. You can put a forward slash and connect, fill out a brief information uh, packet, and it's just a simple online form, and we will follow up with you. We'd, we'd love to get connected to you. Uh, another thing, and this is just the very real stark reality, if you were with us in a worship service gathered in person, this is the point where we um, take a congregational offering, and, and it is that point in the service is as much an act of worship as anything we do. We, we believe giving generously is a faithful act of worship. Um, churches all over right now are, are facing this very real stress that what is going to happen to the giving, the, the, the finances that sustain us. And so um, we're asking you to consider setting up online giving. You can do that again at our website, newcommunitywv.com slash, or I'm sorry, just click the Give tab and that'll, that'll get you all set up. Um, I'm actually trusting, I'm actually hoping and, and believing that we actually see a spike and we actually see some financial increase because I think God is opening a door for the church, not just our church, but the church as a global church to do work and be called to work in this time um, that we've, we've maybe not seen for a while. In the midst of, of all that's taking place, we know that there are needs emerging. We've had people asking us to help with grocery, groceries. We've had people asking for food. And so we want to see that continue to grow and to, to occur. Um, yeah, a couple other things I wanted to let you know. One is uh, this week, New Community folks, we will be kicking off an online Bible study. That's going to be happening through Zoom. You can go on our Facebook page and find the link there. I'll send out an email as well. And that's going to happen Wednesday about 3 p.m. I, I think everybody should be available. There's not much going on this week. So we'd love to have you guys join us for that. Uh, as we jump in today, I want to just tell you this is one of the most difficult sermons I have ever had to write. Uh, it is, the word that I just keep using again and again is that it's surreal. I spent the week trying to stay focused enough to collect my thoughts in a moment that feels like there are a million different thoughts swirling. We are quarantined, we are socially distancing, we are shutting things down that actually bring us together. And yet, I, I think we are perhaps more connected to our global community than we ever have been before. It's strange, and again, it's, it's surreal. Um, so I was thinking this week, when, when I was a kid, I remember stories were the thing that would help me actually rest well. When I was scared of the dark, when I was uh, restless, when I was um, sleepless, someone reading me a book seemed to be the answer to calm those, those restless feelings. Even, even today, I think stories can be comforting. A, a good movie, a good book, even five-minute YouTube inspirational videos that I bet you guys have watched a lot of this week can help settle our hearts. And so undoubtedly, this surreal time has made us restless. So, so today, I, I want to tell you some stories, and I want to maybe find some lessons for us along the way. The first story I want to tell you is of a man named Fred Danback. Fred was a man that in the early 1960s, he had come back from World War II, and he began working at a factory called the Anaconda Wire Factory. This was a plant about 30 miles north of Manhattan, and it sat right along the Hudson River, right outside of New York City. The plant manufactured copper and wire cable, and, and Danback, who was an avid outdoor lover, found himself working in this plant and astounded at how much harmful material the factory was actually putting out into the river. There was things like oil and sulfuric acid being dumped 
directly into the Hudson River. And because of this, fishermen were losing business. When they caught the fish, the fish were so damaged, so poisoned, that they couldn't even be sold. And so Danback complained to his managers. He began telling them about the harm that they were causing, the damage they were doing. Because he loved the river and his, his friends were fishermen. But the complaints actually fell on deaf ears. In fact, every time Danback would, would complain, he ended up being demoted more and more until he finally found himself pushing a broom as a janitor for the factory. Now, this is where the story gets really interesting to me. Danback found himself as this janitor, but what was, what was meant to be punishment and devotion in his life ended up being one of the best things that could have happened to him. You see, as a custodian, he was handed literally the keys to the factory. And so Danback did his work as a janitor, but he also began to take really detailed notes and he began to create maps of the whole factory. He became this internal spy capturing all the damage that was being done to the environment from within. Now, remember at this time in our, in our country, there, there were no pollution laws. In fact, to even come close to suing the company, Danbeck had to research and find a law clear back from the year 1899. And this, this law was called the Refuse Act. He, he began to use his maps and his notes as evidence in the trial in 1972. He sued the company using this law. And the result of the trial was that the company was fined $200,000. This, this was an incredible amount at this time. And as a result, the Hudson River began to be protected in new ways, and it began to be replenished and restored. And today, even today, three million striped bass float up and down the Hudson River. I, I want to say to you today, friends, that we are standing in a moment, in a season where our cultural river has been polluted. This global pandemic of COVID-19, while it took a while to affect those of us here in West Virginia, it has, in what seems like the blink of an eye, shifted our entire world. We find ourselves searching for groceries, seeing school systems rally to deliver food to those who might need it, wondering curiously about future travel plans, and, and feeling even a low and constant hum of anxiety, of fear, even of frustration. I would argue this moment has changed us. Whether we are realizing it right now or not, we are changed, and we are changing. In a couple of weeks' time, I was thinking about the way we, ways we've changed. We, we've shifted from entitled to engaged, right? A, a couple of weeks ago, we thought the world revolved around us. And now we realize how susceptible we are to the forces outside of us. We're much more engaged. We've moved from being distracted to distanced. I, I don't know if you felt this, but we, a couple of weeks ago, we could be with friends and be completely distracted. Now, we would love to be with friends but we're completely distanced. We've moved from fearless to focused. Just think about this question. How, how many times have you washed your hands this week? I hope it's a lot. How about three weeks ago? You moved from fearless to focused. It, it's funny to me, several, several months ago, I mapped out for us as New Community Church here in Buchanan where we would go in the future with our teaching series, with our topics and our sermons. And I jotted down this idea for a series called Anti-Insta, The Fine Art of Slowing Down. I read a book about reclaiming life through 
digital minimalism, cutting away the unnecessary distractions that pervade social media, the apps that clutter our lives, and the constant pace that we feel of always be being connected. And I thought that sounded an awful lot like the kingdom of God. And now I jotted down that idea and thought maybe we'll go there after Easter. And then the past two weeks happened, and I thought this is the series we need. And so I'm teaching a series for the next few weeks called Anti-Insta, The Fine Art of Slowing Down, about decluttering our lives digitally to an audience that's entirely connected virtually. It's real. See, as we're experiencing these cultural shifts, this cultural anxiety, and a cultural river that, much like that Hudson River, feels polluted, feels like we need to talk today about walking slowly about gently moving into the things of God and discerning what he might say to us in this season. I actually want to invite you for the next few weeks to the fine art of slowing down. So if you're new with us today, if you're checking us out online, I'm so glad. I don't know what brought you to watch. Maybe the church building has never felt safe to you. Or you've been hurt by Jesus followers in the past, and this just feels a little safer, a little more anonymous. I, I get it, and I, I'm honored that you're joining with us. Maybe you're just beyond stressed out, worrying, wondering what's next, or how bad are things really going to get, and, and you're hoping for some comfort in this moment. And I hope today is full of comfort for you. And, and maybe you're, you're tuned in, and you don't know why you're watching. I, I get that too. In many ways, I feel like some of what's been felt this week is a numbness where we're just trying to figure out some kind of new normal. So regardless of why you're here, thank you. And, and I believe, I, I, just, I just have this faith that it's not by chance. I, I believe God may want to actually say something to you today. I hope he does. So I want to look briefly at a passage of, of scripture today that invites us to this anti-insta way of life. I, I want to consider a time where God spoke to his people in the midst of crisis. And he speaks truth and he speaks comfort. And, and by the way, truth and comfort can go hand in hand. And those things do exist together. And in God's speaking here, he invites us in a number of ways of how to slow down. So if you have a Bible, if you're accessing a Bible online, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 30. That's, that's where we're going to look at just a couple verses. And as you're going there to Isaiah chapter 30, I want to give you a little context. The prophet Isaiah is a messenger of God. He's someone who was the mouthpiece for the things God wanted to say to his people. And in this passage, God is confronting his people about the false hope that they've put in building a political alliance with the nation of Egypt. And so in all their political wandering, the Israelites are thinking, Egypt may finally be our answer. Maybe they're going to help us. And they're scrambling, right? Doesn't, doesn't that sound familiar? I, I would say don't, don't forget in the midst of this global pandemic, we are also right in the middle of an election season. Did you notice how quiet it got about the election this week? I appreciated that. I don't know how you felt. And the election season has contaminated us more than perhaps any virus ever will, causing us to think if our person gets elected, we might finally have hope. This is where the Israelites were believing that they finally found hope in a nation like Egypt, the same nation that once upon a time had held them in slavery. And this is where we pick up God's message in verse 15. I want to read this passage to you, and as we go, I want to give you three lessons 
that I think call us toward the slowed down life, toward the anti-insta life. Three ways that we're invited in the midst of panic and pandemics to slow down. Here's what verse 15 says. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. I love this verse. It's like going to the doctor with an unknown problem in your life and the doctor saying, I know the exact thing that will cure you. Except here, the prescription sounds a bit too good to be true. The prescription is this, repentance, rest. Those are, what, those are the things that are going to save you. Quietness and strength. Now we'll talk about repentance here in a minute, but but when we start to lean towards the anti-insta life, there's three things I want to give you today. Three, three points to this. Here, here's the first way we start to lean in towards this art of slowing down. The first is this, that we would rest, that we would be quiet and trust God. That's the prescription. That's what God, the great physician, says. You know, in the history of the Christian church, there's a group of followers of Jesus known as the Desert Fathers, who in about the third century left society to become monks and hermits. They were socially distancing before social distancing was a thing. They left the cities to pursue and listen to the word of God, to hear what God himself might say in the silence. And they found this incredible value in the place of the desert. They found the desert, the wilderness, to be a sacred place. In fact, they, they considered this desert place to be supremely valuable in the eyes of God because humans had no value for the desert. Have you noticed we don't really like deserts? Have you noticed how disoriented, maybe restless you've become this week in this kind of quiet space where you're encouraged to stay home and you're trying to figure that out? See, time and again, we see in the story of God's people that when we find ourselves in the desert, we find the salvation of God. That as much as we may struggle against the desert, God shows up in the desert. He meets us in empty spaces. There's, there's a verse in the book of Hosea, chapter 2, where God says to a fallen people, to a people who have rejected him, walked away from him, wandered far away from him, he says, I am now going to allure her. I'm going to make her fall in love with me. He says, I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. See, for many of us, the place we find ourselves right now is so foreign to our everyday kind of life. We're so used to being busy, running from activity to activity, place to place, performance to performance. And in the past weeks, things have come to a dead stop. I could not believe how easy it was to schedule meetings this week. It was incredible. See, in many ways, we've been forced into a desert. And it's in this desert where our false gods are slowly crumbling. See, the gods of our busyness, the gods of our status, of our performance, our achievement, the gods of our consumerism, our entertainment, they've all been shut down. And we may find ourselves in a place where God is offering the same invitation that he offered to his people. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. Friends, the desert is a difficult place. It's barren. 
It's often a wasteland. It's the place where God's chosen people, Israel, wandered for 40 years. They, they could have found the promised land in just a few months if they had taken a direct route, but instead they wandered. And I recognize the restlessness that we feel in this desert, the fear that can unfold as we wander, the anxious moments with the uncertainty of how bad this global pandemic or this economy may truly get. But I also want you to see the desert, this desert, as a place of invitation. Because when we see the desert as God's invitation, we start to see the way the desert will transform us. Because while the desert is difficult, it's also the place where the chosen people were cared for by God alone. The desert of rest and repentance, quietness and trust, that's the place created solely for stillness. It's the place where, of course, despair can rise up, but it's also the place where Jesus the Messiah entered to be tempted for 40 days and triumphed in victory on the cross. God, the perfect physician, invites us in our current moment, in this current culturally polluted wilderness, to the same invitation he offered his people, a place of rest, quietness, trust. I wonder if we could posture our heart for those things in the coming days, the weeks, perhaps months. Quietness, rest, trust. Could we rest and trust because there's a God who stands close by in the wilderness with us? I believe that's the best thing. If you're a follower of Christ, this is the best thing we could do. But you see, this physician, God himself, even as he speaks this to his people, he knows it's too much for them. He knows they will, as the verse says, they will have none of it. He knows these invitations of rest, quietness, trust are often too difficult for us as humans. He knows in a world of cities, we don't like deserts. We'd much rather be in the city. In fact, these patients, the Israelites, do the exact opposite of rest and repentance. Look at verse 16 as they flee. You said, no, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Aren't we good, friends, at doing anything besides rest and being quiet? Aren't we excellent at distracting ourselves? You know what my wife and I did this week? The same night we learned school was out and social gatherings were prohibited, we watched Contagion a movie from 2011 about a global pandemic because we wanted to distract ourselves from 2020 and the global pandemic. I'm just going to tell you, if you're an anxious person, don't watch that movie, right? If you're already anxious, don't watch that film. But we did. We distracted ourselves. We found ways to disengage, to check out because as humans, that's our tendency. That's our gift. If we've seen anything this season, we have a hard time not being able to distract ourselves. And I think if we're going to learn this art of slowing down, this is the second lesson, right? That we, at least now, we have to surrender to this reality around us. We have to do it. See, no distraction is going to do right now. In our cultural polluted river, in this pandemic that we're a part of, distracting ourselves is not going to work. If we've learned anything, it's that we cannot ignore this season. News media has convinced us often that we can, right? Like if the news gets too bad, we just switch it off. But now we are living the news in our homes. We are the stories. We are in a historical moment, a moment that we will tell for generations to come. 
And we can't get out from under it. We can't outrun it. To be fair, I, I want to share something with you I heard this week that was very encouraging, kind of puts this in perspective and may soften our concerns a bit. See, our forefathers came to this country in desolate and desperate conditions by ship, simply hoping that they would stay alive long enough to find a better life, to find land. That's what they experienced. And our great-grandparents and our grandparents left this country to fight in wars where hundreds of thousands were, were, were killed. They died. And we, just put this in perspective, we are being asked to stay home and wash our hands. And it's going to end. We're going to be okay. But the truth remains, we cannot get away from this. Even before the coronavirus, I would say this, our running, our pace was killing us. I can't tell you how many parents I meet, colleagues I talk to, and families I hurt for who are running themselves to death. We are worn out. And if anything, I feel like this pandemic is maybe a forced Sabbath. It's a forced rest, a season for us all to slow down and reflect, to think intentionally about food at home, around tables with people we love and care about, to be forced into smaller settings. It's an opportunity to realize through the force of social distancing, just how distant we've been socially in recent years. When this is over, we will celebrate together more than we have in a long time. And you know what else? We will be more present than we have been in a long time. I, I can't wait till we meet again because I actually think we will be with each other more than we have been in a long time. Maybe the second act of entering into this anti-insta life is to simply surrender. To surrender to the omnipresence of something that we can't control. To give up our rights and engage the quiet and the rest. Because, listen, even if you flee, even if you try to distract yourself, you're going to find yourself alone. And God calls out his people's false fleeing. He lays out for them the flawed thinking that they actually can escape. He tells them in their running, the best you can hope for is to end up alone. That's the best case scenario when you flee from the rest that you need. But there is hope in the rest and the surrender because of who God is. Look at verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. And then I love this. Blessed are all who wait for him. You know, here's, here's the third lesson, and this is probably the thing I want to speak to you the most about today. The third thing about learning this way of slowing down is that I want you to get to know the God who longs to be gracious to you. If there's any opportunity we have this season, it's to get to know the God who longs to be gracious to you. He, the, great, the great church father, Thomas Akempis, who, who lived during the 15th century, he wrote some powerful words that we need to hear right now today. He said this, plan to take some time off. I hope you're planning for that because it's coming. And give some thought as to what you do with that time. Hopefully, you'll spend part of it reviewing God's favors to you in the past. Just remember how good God has been. Then I love this. Devote more time to reading your spiritual books than your survival manuals. Friends, the thing that I've been praying this week for you, for our community, for our world, is that we might get to know the God who longs to be gracious to us. In the midst of all that we're experiencing, in the isolation and the anxiety, the fear, even the death from this virus, I know there's a good God, a perfect heavenly Father, who longs to know you better, 
Maybe you've been forced to slow down because God simply wants to get to know you. And he wants you to get to know him. If you've, this, and by the way, this is why God's invitation to rest starts with repentance. If you've been hurt by the church, I bet you know that word repentance. And I bet you know it can often be an abusive word, a word that points out judgmentally and harshly, often from the lips of, of preachers and teachers like me. That word repent, it just points all the sins that we've ever committed. But actually, maybe we've missed the real meaning of that word. See, in this passage, the word for repentance is actually a Hebrew word, teshuva. And rather than just meaning something we feel guilty about, something we're judged for, the word teshuva actually means to turn. Or, and I like this, to return. To return. It, it's as if the very act of repentance is about coming home to the gracious God who has loved us all along. In this weird church setting where we're worshiping online, I want to invite you into the desert to get to know the God who loves you and longs to be gracious to you. If you've followed Jesus for a long time, I want to invite you to know him in new ways. If you've drifted from him, I want to invite you to come home to his arms, to his love and his grace. See, repentance is about returning. It's not about a God who's mad at you. Whatever you've heard in church settings about how mad God is, God is love. That's what the scripture actually says. And he's inviting you home. And finally, if you've never known God, if you've never followed Jesus, maybe today is your day. The last story that I want to tell you today comes from the story of September 11th, 2001, when the Twin Towers in New York City fell and nearly 3,000 people were killed. It was a tragic day, one that those of you who lived through will never forget. Now, what you may not know about that story is that in Manhattan on 9-11, the original estimate, I want you to think about this, the original estimate of the number of deaths was much higher. It was actually, the estimate was about 12 to 15,000 people had been killed. Now, while the 3,000 lost were one of the greatest tragedies we've ever seen, the, the 9 to 12,000 more thought to be dead were an answer to prayer. And, and why? Why were the estimates so high? And why were so many thought to have been at work in the towers? Now, I want you to think about this. See, around the towers, 8,000 children on 9-11 were starting their very first day of the school year. Parents were dropping their kids off about the time the first plane hit. In reality, because these parents were dropping their kids off, this protected thousands who would have been working in the towers. But there's more to this story, and it starts clear back in the 1960s with that man we started today with, Fred Danback. Now, how does Fred Danback and a polluted Hudson River relate to 9-11? How does a man working as a janitor 40 years before the towers fell have anything to do with protecting the lives of parents and schoolchildren in Manhattan? See, the schools in lower Manhattan for those 8,000 students were all built in the 1970s in a neighborhood where condos and apartments were designed for people with no children, the beauty of the Hudson River and the parks along its banks became a magnet for families deciding we're going to stay in Manhattan rather than leaving for suburbia. You see, the replenished Hudson River paved the way for parks 
which paved the way for families, which paved the way for schools. And because those schools built in the 70s existed, in 2001, the families were dropping their kids off rather than working in the World Trade Center. From the role of a custodian holding the keys to a polluting factory, Fred Danback made a difference and saved the lives of thousands. Over 2,000 years ago, the King of Heaven, the Son of God himself, took on human flesh and entered our planet. He became, I was thinking about this this week, he became in many ways socially distanced from his own kingdom. He went into quarantine, away from his perfect father, and fully contaminated by the brokenness of our world. He went to the epicenter of the global pandemic of sin, and he found his heart breaking with the pollution of the cultural river. But he took on the role of a custodian, carrying the keys to humanity and speaking to hearts that needed life, lives that needed hope, and people who needed peace. He helped the blind to see, the lame to walk, and the dead to live again. He gave prostitutes and outcasts a table to sit around and share food. And as he suffered on the cross and during the greatest pandemic ever known, the plague of sin, he became the perfect vaccine for all of history. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey. I don't know even who all is watching this stream. I don't know what you're feeling in the strangeness of this time in our history, but I do know this and I cling to this. Jesus is still our hope. He's the cure. He's the welcome home for those of you who have been cast aside. He's the forgiveness for all who have failed. He's the rescue for those enslaved and in bondage. And today, I would love to invite you to follow him. This is an anti-insta moment. Jesus doesn't offer quick solutions. In fact, if you follow Jesus, he's going to demand of you your whole life. But it's a way of living, I promise you, like you've never known. I wonder if, as the band starts to play... If you would pray with me together, let's pray.